The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All in Other Lies, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them. Because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. It is my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Nora Sikija. She is the CEO and co-founder of Instagram and every influencer's favorite jewelry brand, Majori. Nora co-founded Majori based on the belief that the idea of a woman waiting around to be gifted a piece of jewelry by a man was outdated and needed to change. With a direct-to-consumer model utilizing weekly drops, Majori brings modern manufacturing to traditional craftsmanship to disrupt an industry often shrouded in glittering enigma. Majori is rooted in the belief that jewelry should not be reserved for occasions and instead enjoyed every day. Majori has sold over a million pieces worldwide, with 75% of their customers being women buying for themselves. Their celebrity fans include everyone from Selena Gomez to Lizzo to Oprah Winfrey herself. This past year, Nora has been spearheading the Majori Scholarship Fund, a large-scale initiative to invest in the pursuit of higher education for women and non-binary people which she speaks of more in our interview and refers to as her effort to provide optionality for people who may not have had it otherwise. Motivated to help other women find the tools to design their own lives, Nora has raised over $32 million to date, and her Series B was whilst she was seven months pregnant with twin girls. And if that doesn't warrant the purchase of a celebratory piece of jewelry, then I don't know what does. She was such a treat to talk to about everything from running a company through a pandemic to why trying to find time to meditate can feel like an additional source of stress. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm so happy to see you. Thank you so much for being here today. Where are you? Thank you for having me. I'm in Toronto. It looks very cold and very snowy behind you. It is indeed very, very cold. I've been stuck inside this whole weekend. There's nothing to do. (laughs) You know what? At least you know that you're not really missing out on anything going out outside either. So how are you doing or how are you really? I am good. You know, uh, everything considered, I'm good. Trying to stay positive, look at the bright side of things. So generally speaking, I'm good. Okay. You know what? That's all you can ask for right now. I feel like it's a day to day. Everybody's changing and you know, the moods kind of go up and they go down and you just got to kind of roll with the punches. All right. Well, let's, let's start with something fun. What was the last lie that you told? Oh my God. I am actually a very bad liar. You can immediately tell if I'm saying lie, but I'll tell you something. Probably most of my lies are related to time because I tend to overcommit. For some reason in my head, I have like endless time, but between being a CEO and being a mother of twins, that's the area that I Uh, that I'm not so good at. And so, you know, this weekend, uh, I promised my husband that I'm going to make our favorite Valentine's Day, (laughs) Valentine's dinner. Oh my gosh. Uh, And as I was saying that- What do you make for Valentine's dinner? Like you have a, is this a romantic meal? No, it's just, you know, some traditional, it's stuffed zucchini, something very traditional from where we come from. 
And as I was saying it, I'm like, that's that's not going to happen. But I, I just committed to it. And it didn't happen, obviously, because I was working uh, almost all day. And so we ended up ordering in. Everyone wins. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. So did you order in stuffed zucchini or no? Something totally no, we different. got Italian, Italian food. Well, you know what? It sounds like you said it was all a win-win. So what have you had enough of lately? I think, to be honest, like everyone else, the pandemic uh, yeah. The impact it's had on everyone, the economy, mental health. I'm very much ready to for the next phase. And I think, you know, a pandemic with the snowy weather is really hard. We're stuck inside. There's nothing much to do. So I'm very much looking forward for summer. I think it just kind of adds like insult to injury, right? When the weather is hundred percent, and it's gray and you need a happy lamp and you need at least sunshine or something. I think it's the continuity of everything too, right? It's like having things to look forward to. And what we have a hard time with right now is knowing what you can look forward to. But what's exactly. the vibe in Toronto? We're in lockdown, so there's not much mm-hmm. to do. It's uh, it's quite serious. I haven't seen my friends in months. There is nothing much to do except for shopping, you know, drugstores and groceries. So you know, generally speaking, it's it's very, very quiet. And like you said, to be honest, the tough thing is you don't know when this is going to end, but we're all in it together and uh, we're sticking together. Everyone's trying their best at this time. I know we all are so acutely aware of what we've lost and what we're missing during this time. But if you were to try to focus on some silver linings, do you think that there's anything that you've gained personally or in regards to the business? Lots, to be honest. I think I think that's what kept me going is really focusing on the silver lining. And I think from a personal standpoint, having more time with my with my daughters because the commute time is completely gone or in between meetings, I can go and check on them. That's been very, very important for me. Having downtime also, some, my life was very much go, 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 which I love and it energizes me, but also having this forced downtime to just invest in yourself whether it be a treat a book or whether it be it, you know, watch a show or whatever that maybe has been nice from a business standpoint, I think we got much closer as a team, even though we're physically distant because we, we put so much emphasis on mental health, on checking in on each other because we can't see each other now in real life. And so going the extra mile to check in on your team and make sure that they're okay. I feel like our culture has grown in the past year. And we've got closer together. And as a business, just generally, everyone's forced to really focus on what adds value to your customer, as opposed to sort of all of the all of the things that you are trying to do. And it, it helps ground you to what really is important. Yeah, I think that's so important what you said. Also, I mean, there's so many different components to running a business. And obviously, the culture is one of the most paramount in terms of the experience of retention and people wanting to work there. And also just right now, when you said, you know, mental health, and I think under normal circumstances, that's not something that gets this sort of attention and focus that it's getting right now. So I do think that that's a tremendous blessing for everybody. And I'm sure it has a trickle down effect also to your community as you're engaging with your client more. The key right now is how do we carry these changes also after after hopefully, you know, life comes back to normal and we go back to socializing, we go back to seeing each other in real life. How do we carry some of the lessons that we've learned forward? And I think, I think that's really key. As you know, one of the things that we love to discuss is the notion of having it all. And I wonder if that's something that you subscribe to. And if so, what you thought that would look like versus what it looks like to you today. 
very different things. I think before you, when you're studying, having it all is very different from when you actually end up uh, working and experiencing things. So, you know, when you're a kid, think you think successful, being successful is really tied, you know, the image of a person with material things, uh, great things, great car, great uh, life, etc. from the outside, very maybe shallow a little bit. That's what you sort of associate success with. And then as you as you grow and you start to define who you are and you start to define what you really want, uh, I think for me now in my 30s, to be honest, success on a personal level is just being very happy with who I am, having the luxury to do to spend my time on the things that I love uh, is really, really important to design my life around, say, the majority of it on what I love. And so it, it really changed in my mind. And from a business standpoint, to be honest, the dream continues to be the same. Building a category defining brand is really the same dream since we started. Well, I would love to talk a little bit about your career trajectory because I know it was a little untraditional. And you know, <laughs> you come from a family that's been in the jewelry industry for generations, right? Yes, I'm third generation, actually. Would you say you kind of rejected this initially or you thought you were just going to go another route? Oh, I, I definitely went completely in a different direction. So grew up in jewelry all around me, not just my father, my my uncles, everyone is in the jewelry business. That's like so my sort fantasy, of like, by the way, growing yeah. up in jewelry. But did you take it for granted in a way? Probably, to be honest, probably yeah. part of it. It's like, why would you reject this? But I did. But I think it was sort of a, it was a positive thing in the end because you know, the family business was very much or is very much like a traditional jewelry business, which is marketing for men to buy for women. It was higher end uh, pieces. So it, it had that exclusive feel to it, just like we know fine jewelry to be. And it's very much a gifting focused. And so these three things, when I sort of summarized them to myself, it didn't, it didn't resonate with me. And so I studied engineering. I worked in consulting for years. Uh, and I decided to go back to the industry with a different perspective, which is women buying jewelry for themselves, quite simple. And so that really changes your entire outlook on the business, because now when you're designing a product, you're designing for everyday wear, for styling, for what women do on a daily basis. It's not for occasions. The ethos of the brand, the way that we connect, everything about it is completely different, uh, even though it starts with a simple idea. So I, I'm kind of grateful for sort of rejecting that path and, and sort of starting fresh. But there's so much, obviously, that I take with me from the experience that I've had observing my father and my relatives run their businesses. What was your family's reaction when you came to them with this new and modern approach to how you wanted to build your own brand? You know, my father was very traditional and telling him by, you know, selling gold and diamond online He's like, this is not going to work because to him, which is very interesting because something that I really care about is the relationship with the customer was very, very important. It's an industry that has a lot of, I feel, enigma around it. Like the product is so technical, can get very technical. And so for him, it was very important to have that relationship with the customer to be able to explain, you know, the ins and outs of the products, the sourcing and where it's made, et cetera. And so he's like, how is this, how is this going to be done online? And so that premise, taking that and bringing transparency to the brand was really important. And bringing that relationship with the customer was very important when we established this business. What do you think inspired you to approach it also from the perspective of women feeling empowered to buy things for themselves? And like you say, for everyday wear rather than occasion versus, you know, it has been marketed, I think for us traditionally, 
two men as a gift to buy for, mm-hmm. you know, a special someone on a special occasion only. And really, so it's kind of like you said, you're sort of demystifying the mystique around the notion of buying jewelry and the fact that women can do this and be empowered themselves. Yeah, there is a sense of empowerment in the, in the entire premise of the brand that I absolutely love that I feel liberating is don't wait for anyone or for a man to buy you jewelry, but don't wait for anyone to do anything for you, essentially. And so lots of industries were evolving. Women are in the workforce making, you know, they're buying decisions. Why is this still marketed this way? And it felt very outdated to me. And so that was a key point for me that really connected me with the idea and really want, you know, pushed me to pursue this. But on a personal level, when you start working and you have a little bit of disposable income, there wasn't a lot of choices for me to go and buy jewelry for myself. That is not costume jewelry, but it's also not super high end jewelry. And so I wanted to create that place where women can go and buy jewelry for themselves for every day, because I feel like this is where your self-expression comes into play. Your choice of jewelry is just another form of self-expression that is really important. And so I felt very much compelled to do it. Right. And if you didn't know where to buy jewelry with all of your access points and all the information that you had, imagine your regular girl who's trying to buy something special for herself, but it can feel super prohibitive and a little intimidating. Exactly. So there there isn't a lack of small jewelry shops or what have you. Actually, the industry is very much fragmented. You know, I'm referencing probably data from five years ago, only 20% of the industry is actually branded. And the remainder of it is unbranded. And so I know that our generation really craves the experience and not just the product. You know, the design story, the quality, the, the, uh, the sourcing, the transparency. How am I experiencing the brand? Because it's, it's also joy to buy something for yourself. It's not a transaction. And so that was also a point where I wanted to create a brand, a connection with, with customers as opposed to just sort of a destination. Right. So... I live not far from your store, your majority store, and there's not a time that I drive by that there's not a line down the block. So I can only draw the conclusion that business is doing very well right now. But during this pandemic, what has has the jewelry business been like? And do you feel like there's been an uptick in certain pieces or a draw towards other things? Have you been surprised by anything? Yeah, definitely. I mean, last year was, was such an interesting year. So generally speaking, online has seen a lot more traffic because everyone's forced to buy to go online to even buy their basic products. So even customers who weren't comfortable to buy luxuries online are now uh, transacting online. So generally speaking, there was a lot of influx of, of online traffic. But to answer your question, the things that we that I found to be exciting is is the gifting portion of the business has grown by 30 percent so women buying jewelry for their friends or even traditional gifting because we can't see each other so we've seen that growth in the business from a gifting standpoint and last year before before everything had started and the pandemic hit we had set out to introduce more sort of higher priced products and more of the more intricate designs or larger pieces and so obviously those have a different price tag to them. And so we were reluctant during, you know, a year of a pandemic to introduce them, but we, we've already done 90% of the work and we wanted to see what the response would be given that we've been in the market for five years and our customers are also growing with us. So we've introduced our first higher end products and we've seen a lot of appetite. So women were looking to perhaps buy less, but trade for a higher end piece that will stay with them and stand the test of time. And so that was a very 
you know, exciting opportunity for us to expand also our design aesthetic, to expand our assortment. And we're now continuing to diversify our price point from the opening price point all the way to the, you know, the higher end products that we carry, but all with under the same umbrella of everyday aesthetic. Right. And you drop special limited edition product every Monday. Is that right? Yeah, so not everything is limited edition. Some can join our evergreen product. But one of the things that we've done in the industry is introducing a drop model, which is sort of known in fashion, but not necessarily in fine jewelry. And so every Monday we introduce net new products. And that sort of goes as well with buying jewelry for yourself and bringing that freshness to our community. It doesn't necessarily mean we introduce a lot more products than other brands. It means that we're distributing the introduction of the products across the year and having this touch point with our customer on a continuous basis. Nora, have you found that there's been a big uptick as far as earrings go? Because I have often found myself hopping on a Zoom with days old sweatpants on the bottom. And as long as I throw on some semblance of a clean shirt with earrings or a fun necklace, I feel like I'm bringing something to the party. And I have to imagine that that's been a new phenomenon for you, right? Is the kind of the Zoom uniform. Yeah, the Zoom uniform. We've always been focused on earrings, but you're absolutely right. We we went also bigger this year in earrings uh, for Zoom, uh, Zoom parties, Zoom meetings. And so earrings in general is a great category. And for us as well, because um, we, we do piercings and we have piercing studios. And so studs and styling has always been part of the brand. But you're, you're right. Earrings has increased. I don't have the exact number, but I know we were talking about it the other day with merchandising. And uh, definitely it's, it's the new, I guess, style that you add to a meeting. And uh, yeah, we've been focused on it. Right. It's a little zhuzh. And also, you know, I think the thing about shopping during this time, first and foremost, is obviously people, a lot of people are working with a lot less resources. But more than that, it feels as we redefine, you know, obviously what we really need and what we don't need and what is essential and what is excess is sometimes you feel silly purchasing certain things because you have nowhere to go in them. And I think what's so special about jewelry is it is a mood booster that you can wear on your person that doesn't really require that you go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. And it stays on. I, for example, I have my necklace. I've had it for years on and it just, it's just part of me. So Yeah, but earrings has been such an important part of the business this last year. So aside from just earrings, and obviously that's a little zhuzh that you can add to all the zooming that we're doing, but in terms of the recent phenomenon of pearls, I heard you had a really fun, not only drop, but a synergy with Kamala and the inauguration. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, we actually, the pearl sales increased by 107%. Wow. Yeah, since then. And the fun part is that the Monday after we had a we had a pearl drop. Was that intended? Not really, but it was a perfect coincidence. Let's just say, <laughs> and uh, it, it was phenomenal. It was great to sort of be super relevant uh, with what's going on, and uh, yeah, pearls has been picking up quite a bit. Do you know anything about the symbolism of pearls? Yes, I read about it actually. You know, I'm not going to be super articulate with this, but it's more it's it's tied to women sticking together. I remember it's it's a very old organization, if I'm not mistaken. And so you see it in all of politics. And I'm watching Scandal now and it's pearls is everywhere. But wow. it's tied to women empowerment. I love that. I, and I love the symbolism of women sticking together. And obviously, 
it's a perfect symbol for Majori too, as a platform for women in a community. You guys are sticking yeah. together like a strand of pearls. Exactly. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I was reading this article on Vanity Fair, but I I, uh, I forget the name of the sorority, but it was started back then and it's about uh, refinement and wisdom. And so I think pearls, yeah, carries a lot of symbolism behind it that I think right now is very relevant. Here's the thing. Pearls have always felt mature. Mm -hmm. I got a couple pearl pieces when I had a bat mitzvah and those were things that I never wore because they felt old lady. And now I love pearls. I actually, you know, I have a few different pearl earrings. Obviously it's all about the styling too, but I think pearls are beautiful. Yeah, I I, lo- I love pearls. And it, you're absolutely right. It all depends on the design too. And we always joke, it's not your grandmother's pearls. These are different. And <laughs> Right. It's the grandmother pearl thing. I, and I do yeah. have my grandmother's pearls, which are, yeah. you know, which are special, but it does. It, it always, I think that those kind of traditional pearl necklaces felt older. I think the way that people are wearing yeah. earrings with pearls. And the organic pearls too are Beautiful. very nice. The imperfect organic shapes. Uh, I'm, v- I'm very much now about imperfection and stones with inclusions and, and things like that, that I love to embrace. Yeah. That's another metaphor for you guys too, through jewelry and stones with imperfection and the irregularity of pearls. It's also about almost embracing all the things about ourselves yeah. that we were saying earlier is just about learning to love the beauty of the non-perfection. Exactly. I feel like in my thirties, at least for me, that's when it started to hit me where you, you don't hide your imperfections. You just, you make peace with them. You kind of embrace them. And I love that metaphor. And I love connecting it with, with gemstones or, or diamonds that have imperfections. It's so interesting too, because like you said, obviously you've gone a different route and you were in consulting and you studied engineering. And then obviously your approach to jewelry sounds like it's so different than your family, but What I always think is really interesting is not everybody responds to every part of the business in the same way, right? So there is the the management, there's the design, there's the creative process, there's the very uncreative process. What parts do you feel like have been kind of more seamless for you versus what have been more of a challenge? So I think as a founder, you get to do everything you from the beginning. You have to. (laughs) You have to do everything. You're right. And so I would like to think I'm sort of borderline between creative, but also sort of technical call it. So supply chain was very intuitive to me. I love, I love supply chain. I actually think of next generation brands is, is also sort of the uncreative part uh, is really just important because how you deliver the product to your customer consistently with the consistent quality, et cetera, is just part of a brand. And so that was very exciting to me. But since the beginning, when we started the brand, uh, we've had uh, our chief creative officer was part of the founding team members. And so while I'm, you know, I'm borderline creative, but I'm not that creative. And so she's a great compliment. Me and her uh, working together on building the DNA of the brand was really, really key. I would say that this is sort of how I see myself. But right now it's different going from growing very fast, you're always in an uncomfortable zone, like as a, as a CEO, which is great because you're always growing. Um, and so right now it's more of scaling growth pains and scaling structures. And these are the things that you, you tend to work on as opposed to sort of really building something from scratch. Obviously we are going through such an unprecedented time, right? So you had made mention earlier about the culture, but what do you think that you're doing right now to try to help keep spirits high and keep Mm -hmm. the team engaged because 
it is one of those things where it's like you are working with people and everybody has their own limited capacity and, and are experiencing this pandemic in different ways. What do you think you have been doing from a culture standpoint to keep everybody encouraged and uplifted and feeling kind of nurtured themselves? There's quite a bit of things that we're doing. And to be honest, I look at this as a, an iterative process because how pe- people felt in last year in the beginning of the pandemic versus in the summer, it's going to continue to change. But, you know, some of the key things that have been important is, for example, having FaceTime with the entire company. We have a monthly Ask Me Anything. And so that encourages any curiosities from the team to surface and and sort of to talk about it at a team level. Having this touch base, a town hall on a monthly basis where we disclose, you know, refocus the business, make sure that everyone's aware of what we're working on, what are the priorities has also been important. We've done some mental health awareness, uh, some training for managers. We continue to invest also in people managers to make sure that they're supporting their teams. So lots of training programs there, whether it be it on the soft skills or the technical skills to make sure the teams are supported. Another thing that I was very, it was very important to me is having continuous one-on-ones. So regular one-on-ones with your teams and checking in on mental health and checking in on how people are doing, because again, we can't see them in real life. We do engagement surveys quarterly to see how people are feeling. And from there, then the next iteration goes into sort of improvement to see what do we need to hit now in order to make sure that people feel happy, balanced, et cetera. So really, it's a journey. It's a continuous process. I don't think, you know, we will never perfect it, but we're very adamant at uh, making sure that we have progress all the time. Right. Well, it's like what you said, you know, when you're a CEO, obviously you get to slash have to do everything. And this is one of those kind of wild card events that you could have never planned for. And then all of a sudden taking, you know, the culture into account is something that takes enormous importance in a way that it hadn't before. As far as giving back to people, I know that you guys have recently been working on a scholarship fund. Mm -hmm. Is that just within the last year? Yeah, it's within the last year. The idea has been in mind for quite some time. But, you know, with the events that happened last year, we wanted to accelerate and we wanted to be part of the conversation and part of positive change. So we launched our uh, Majority Empowerment Fund. And it's uh, really our mission is to empower the next generation of leaders. And that's essentially through uh, scholarships for higher education for women and non-binary people. One key thing that I really love for myself and think is, is, is very important is, a lot, is, is helping people create optionality in their life so that they can design their life around what they love. And so we find that investing in education for women and non-binary people will give them the power of optionality. And so that's the first area that we have chosen. And this year, you know, our International Women's Day campaign was inspired by the shine theory, which I absolutely love. So it's essentially, I don't shine if you don't shine. And it has a a great sense of community and and empowerment and women empowerment uh, around it. Uh, We launched um, a sweater with 100% of the proceeds going into uh, the Women Empowerment Fund. And so this is just the start. I'm, I'm extremely excited about what we can do with this. And it ties... You know, going back five, six years ago when we started the brand and one of the first videos I said, you know, you don't have to wait for anyone to buy you jewelry. I love how things are sort of tying 
linearly to each other. I had not heard that shine theory, but I love the notion of the idea of optionality, right? Because something that we always like to explore is the idea of designing your own life. And I just think the suggestion of giving people who may not have had so otherwise the options and giving them access to different things so that there are options within our life is super powerful. Is that something that's sustained through purchases or is there a way to get involved for people who are part of your community? Right now we're doing it through purchases and in, and uh, sort of uh, funding it through the business. So we, mm-hmm. we did our first release uh, last year and we're doing our second release this year as well. And so we, we are going to continue to grow this fund. This primarily. is so I love this. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited about the, building this and, and growing it and uh, making it a very key component of the brand. Yeah, I think that that, that is just so incredible. You know, one of the things... I think that COVID has done for a lot of people, you mentioned obviously being stuck inside, but just so many of, you know, whether it's the occasions or the things to look forward to or the external markers of identity, a lot of people have felt stripped of those. And I wonder, you know, if this year has given you time to explore where you feel you derive your sense of identity. Yeah, I think with the pandemic and and sort of having a more simplified, call it lifestyle, let's just say. I think it helped focus on key things, but also reconfirm things that you absolutely can't take for granted. And, you know, I'm an extrovert. I love being around people. And so I just realized right now that that portion of my life was really important. And, and, And it's really important for me to go back and invest in these relationships and invest in seeing people and sort of, you know, having a little bit more balance between work and life. And I think that that's, that's been a very important revelation for me personally, because uh, I think previously it was very much like, go, go, go. And while I don't think that's going to change much, but I feel now I'm able to say this actually energizes me. I need it back in my life. But yeah, I think in general, it kind of helped me not to take certain things for granted. You know, you mentioned a trigger word for a lot of people, which is balance. And obviously you made mention of the fact that you have twins and you are at the helm of this growing business, which is almost like a third child. I read, I believe that you are in your your series B when you were pregnant with your twins, right? Seven months pregnant. Yes, I I signed the documents in the hospital a couple of days before I actually (laughs) delivered. I found that so inspiring too, because, you know, you read so much about not enough of the money being raised really is going to female-led companies Mm. and the percentages Mm -hmm. are really staggering in terms of the discrepancy. Do you feel that? Obviously being very, very pregnant, doing a raise, your second at that point, was that something that you felt affected things in any way? So I think that was harder. For, it was harder for me for the seed round. Seed round is when you have a lot less uh, to show. And to be honest, I did go into the seed round knowing that I have to work twice or three times as hard to get funding. Because you're a woman? Yeah, partially. I think mm-hmm. so. And I sort of set the expectation for myself that that's how it's going to be. And so it took me quite some time to close the first million. Whereas in what I've done differently, I think, because that experience was really hard for me is to start establishing relationships with potential investors way earlier than we actually needed the capital. If there's a piece of advice for any business that's looking to fundraise, it's really to start a lot earlier to establish relationships and keep people in the loop on how you're progressing because it's a relationship. It's like marriage. You have to 
have chemistry, you have to like how they act when you're winning, but also when you're losing. So it's sort right. of, <laughs> it's, it's not a transaction. And so that really helped me because as soon as I had our first lead in, in the round, they also opened up our current investors essentially opened up a lot of introductions with other investors. So having people on your side early on was really important. And our series A investors were, were very key in the process as well. Right. But it's also even just engaging with potential investors. It's hard for people who are just starting businesses to even mm-hmm. know how to start in finding yeah. those potential investors. Like you said, you didn't yet have as much to show for the business as you did as funding continued. And that's really daunting too, because you there's no proof of concept, right? Yeah, exactly. And to your point about being pregnant, to be honest, I always say it's it's a great gauging me- mechanism. Like if someone doesn't want to invest because you're pregnant, then they're not the right investor. Then it's actually great. Right. So I think it also helps you, uh, you know, align yourself with the right partners. You're a person at the end of the day, you have a life, you have, you're not just a CEO or a founder. And so the right investors would recognize that. Right. And you don't want to take money from somebody who doesn't understand the sort of the full package that you're coming with and what, you know, and what that really entails. So it's hard to feel like you're simultaneously crushing every aspect of your life all the time. And sometimes there's days where I'm sure you are feeling like you're killing it in business, but at home is harder or vice versa. You know, now is obviously a funny time because we're bifurcating less, but how do you navigate that? Because like you said, you were pregnant with not one, but two babies simultaneously. (laughs) That must be so full on. Yeah, honestly, you're absolutely right. Some days I feel like I'm not doing well on both. Some days I'm on top of the world and some days, you know, one at the expense of the other. I like to be honest about these things because I think it's really important for people to know there's no such thing as complete balance and there is no such thing as winning everywhere and that it's okay. I think for me, along the way is how do I build support structures, whether it be through my team, and uh, mentors, uh, coaches, I personally also do do therapy. So I build around myself outlets that will help me get the right support uh, from a business standpoint, but also get the right uh, support mentally. I also, you know, I'm lucky to have a partner who's very much involved in my life. We work together and also very much involved with our girls. So it's not easy, but it's really building a support structure is really, really important. I'm trying to get into meditation. It's hard for I someone who's very- I can't get into it either. We're now halfway through February. And in January, I said, you know what? I'm going to meditate and I'm going to journal. And my journal, first of all, I, I knew at the time that it was problematic that I bought this one because it has one page for every day. And yeah. I thought, am I going to resent that this has it because it's going to show all the days that I didn't journal? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thought, you know what? It's going to actually keep me on the hook. I'm going to have to do it. And I have yeah. days and days where I just never get in there. And I also cannot find the time to meditate. Yeah, me neither. I'm trying to get into meditation. It's the same thing. And I'm trying to uh, calm uh, the app. So it's working a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm getting into it. I'm trying yoga here and there. But, you know, I think being kinder to ourselves and it's okay if things don't happen perfectly every day because they're not. And so sort of having that expectation of not everything has to be perfect is, I think, the first step. And it took right. me a very long time 
to accept that that is. I think this is like a global support network for women too, because I just don't, you know, I don't think men are hard on themselves in the same way. And women collectively, we all just need to give like a major sigh of relief and just understand we are all doing the best that we can. We're making ourselves feel bad because we can't meditate, which is meant to make us feel better. And it's like sort of an oxymoron that it's making us feel worse about ourselves. (laughs) It's funny because I see a lot of people lately, you know, the notion of hustle porn. And I think this was kind of pre-pandemic, but everyone just, I'm so busy. I've got this coming, you know, I'm working so hard. I work harder than you. And now there's been a shift where I see a lot of people doing goal tracking. Do you see those ever? Yes. Yeah. I see a lot of these goal trackers for drink more water, which I think is the craziest thing. Like (laughs) if you have time to write down that that's a goal of yours, maybe you need to find a different goal. (laughs) Just drink the water. It's not, you know, right. But what's your process as far as setting goals and, and taking victories? Are you fluid or are you pretty structured? I think I'm fluid. Generally speaking, I'm very fluid. Uh, Business-wise, not super fluid because I can't. Uh, we're, right. we're at a different stage. But with myself, I have to be fluid because it's very unpredictable in terms of where my time goes between work and life. But I'm, I'm trying to prioritize my health and my exercise as much as possible. And so my go-to right now is to go to achievable goals as opposed to sort of the big thing mm-hmm. and start bit by bit, start step by step. And, and it's been working so far. It's sort of every week there's a small goal and I try to accomplish it and it feels great. So that's my key for now. I hope it works. Maybe if we speak in a month, I'll, I'll, I'll find I'm another. I'm going to check in on you. So yeah. <laughs> are you using a habit tracker? Do you write these down? Do you just put them in your phone or is it just a mental note? I just write them down. I like mm-hmm. writing on paper, which is different, but uh, I still no, like I pen and too. paper. I, I yeah. think that there's something really powerful about that and there's yeah. an accountability. Hello, my cheeky friends. Christine Evangelista here from the Half Naked Podcast, a show about underwear, vulnerability, and history. Yep. If you've ever been curious about those strappy things at the bottom of your corset or why thongs were invented, join me on Half Naked, where we expose the crazy and fraught history of the undergarment industry. How do you feel like you stay motivated it's hard because like you said, with the business, you have to be super strategic and very regimented in terms of, obviously you have various drops, you have collaborations, you have schedules, everything is really marked out so far in advance. Do you feel like, do you take time to recognize all that you have accomplished? Not really. No, no. I have to be reminded sometimes I'm always on to the next thing, but I think part of me likes it. And part of me thinks, you know, it's exhausting. I like it because I feel like if you rest, it's negative in my opinion. Like you really have to always try for the next thing, but you also have to be grateful. You also have to recognize where you've come from so that it gives you power for the next step. So I'm trying to work my way through the balance of these two things, working on it, work in progress. (laughs) Right, exactly. I'll check back with you about that as well. (laughs) What do you see next for Majori? There's so much uh, that we're focused on, but some of the things that I'm super excited about is our retail footprint and growing that our retail stores are you know i absolutely love the design love the interactions love the sense of community our international growth plans uh, are also materializing bit by bit uh, which is quite exciting as well and you have a store coming up in london yes we were supposed to launch last year but uh, you know we're targeting this year we have six stores so far 
So it's essentially it's essentially retail, our international expansion, and we continue to work on our relationship with our customers, our products that we're going to launch. I'm very much involved in product. It sort of gives me a lot of energy to be involved in that part of the business. And so I, it absolutely is something that I'm very passionate about. One of the things that I think is so special about Majori as a brand is that not only are you putting women in the driver's seat when it comes to the conversation about I think you coined something like buy the damn diamond. Was that a phrase that you buy yourself the damn diamond? Yes. Buy yourself the damn diamond. God damn it. So listen, (laughs) I love that. And I want to buy myself the diamond. But I, I think more importantly, the agency that you're giving to women and the platform that you're affording, not only really high profile women like Annie Murphy and Jenna Lyons, which is amazing, but also lesser known women, and you're giving them through this profile series, a real voice and a platform to some of the incredible work that they're doing. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of what you're doing for International Women's Day? Of course, International Women's Day um, has always been a very important part of our brand. It's very much tied to the message of Majuri. And so this year, we launched our uh, sweater, which which says golden on it, and 100% of the proceeds are going towards uh, the Majuri Empowerment Fund. And so we were very fortunate to work with amazing women who are helping us bring awareness to the fund and also profile them and show you know women from different walks of life, different backgrounds, and give them the platform to talk about their story and connect with our community and help us shed light on, on what they're working on. And so that's been very, very important for us. We started in January and the last feature or profile is going on March 2nd. I'm very excited about this year's collaborations. And like you said, you know, we're ending with Jenna Lyons and uh, very excited to see how Iconic. our community is going. To, yes, absolutely. A dream come true. So very excited about that. Now, so have any of your family members become majority customers? Oh, yeah. They're very loyal customers now. <laughs> I think so I'm good. taking away business from the family to Majuri. <laughs> well, you know what? You got to do what you got to do. Well, so today, Nora, knowing what you know, what would having it all look like to you? I think it's a sense of fulfillment in, in the things that you do. That is the most important key thing in having it all. Whether be it being a mother, being at work, I think just that sense of fulfillment. And so making sure that you spend the majority of your time on the things that you love. Life is too short and can change like that, as we all know and have learned. And so really investing in getting to know yourself, setting your boundaries. I was telling my business coach the other day, the most liberating thing I have found in myself recently is being able to say, no, I don't want to do this which is something I, you know, I'm not used to saying as someone who wants to, to take on, you know, maybe a lot more than, than, than needed. But I think it's just really designing your life. Okay, Nora, for anyone who doesn't currently follow you, where can they find you? And where can they buy themselves a piece of your incredible jewelry? Follow us on Instagram at Majuri and uh, definitely go to Majuri.com. Yes, or stand on Melrose where I see people lined up for hours (laughs) just desperate to get in. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I'm so happy to meet you in person and I will check back to see how your goals are going. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of Having It All and Other Lies. I've been having so much fun talking to and learning from all these amazing women and I hope you're enjoying it too. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and also follow along at Having It All Podcast and swing on over to my page at Sarah underscore Riff. 
I love hearing from you guys. So please keep up the DMs and emails. And if there's anyone that you want to hear from, let us know. Having It All and Other Lies is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Bigas. See you next week.